And good morning. It is 9.33. Joining me now, our good friend, Master Gardener, Barb Lampson. Good morning, Barb. How are you doing over out there? You're on the phone today because, you know, we're doing the whole distancing yes. again, for sure. Yes. And, uh, you know, we're very happy to be able to do that. We don't want to be uh, giving people the impression that we're not following <laughs> we are the best practices here. So, hey, I'm great, and I'm great because the good news is the weather, it's warm again. We are four degrees warmer than what we normally are this time of the year, and uh, and the soil shows that the soil is still very warm. I believe it's 56 degrees. I haven't checked it today, but that's what it was going before. And uh, so that means, you know, if, if you want to take advantage of, oh, maybe some uh, bulbs that are on sale now, you might want to, you could check into that, you could get that done. But um, I would say be sure that you're getting a good deal, that you're really getting a good deal. Because um, a lot of times if you order something, you have shipping charges and you have um, mailing costs and or handling and shipping. And, and that adds to the price. So Well, and, and the other thing, I've been getting tons of on my email because, you know, I subscribe, like you probably do, it a lot of seed and plant catalogs and things. And now they're all promoting their sales you know buy now it's the last chance and and you know you can get these really 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 great deals but part of that is once you make the order and you have to have them shipped you don't know exactly how long that can be and while it would be great to do it plant them this weekend you still can uh you don't know for sure how long out that's going to be and at some point the, the ground is going to freeze but until it freezes you still can plant them i've looked in in local stores to see if there's any last minute deals and a lot of them of course have sold out of all those bulbs so sure sure that's but, that, that's very very true as a matter of fact um um some of my favorite stores where i buy bulbs sold out very early this year yes. and i think it's just about people you know getting back to gardening and wanting some color in the spring and just wanting to get out and you know plant something and then benefit later on you know uh, one of our master gardeners our newest master gardener karen planted one thousand bulbs wow i thought one year when i planted almost 200 i thought that i was doing a lot but one thousand that's going to be a massive beautiful color yeah. in the spring and it, there's nothing like it and yeah. uh, we'll have to go visit karen and report on that yes <laughs> and what variety she's she's raising i don't know if she's um, ever done this before my advice to people always is you know start small and find out what you like because uh, maybe if you become familiar with the uh, environment that for example uh, a uh, tulip needs uh, if you put in the early tulips, a lot of times you can be disappointed because when they come up and start blooming, we'll still get snow. They're and too they early, yeah. Do almost not like snow. I mean, yeah. You know, they're from they're from Holland, so the Netherlands. They're they're not uh, uh, used to this cold weather. I always try to get either the mid to late blooming tulips, just yes. because of yep. that. And there are some things like crocus will be among the first things that will pop up. And they usually yeah. do okay if they get a little snow on them. They're they're not too bad. But the the thing with tulip bulbs is uh, I've had and even with my iris, I planted some iris too uh, earlier this fall, and the squirrels have been digging those up. And so, uh, in the lily garden where we planted Grant's Asiatic lilies, I took actually some uh, plastic fencing and put it over top of the soil so the squirrels wouldn't dig it out because sometimes yeah. it's like a treat for them. 
Yes, yes, that that is really a good idea. And then <clears throat> with that fencing, when I put it down, I put that uh, metal fencing down. I have to weight it down with a rock or something. Yes, because sometimes that's disturbed too. So uh, I took little uh, spot those little um, wires. Uh, spike things that you can, you know, actually hold them down like you would a sure. landscape cloth or something. Say, yeah, did yeah. you see um, the other thing now is plant the other promotion that a lot of the plant places are doing is plan your 2021 garden and you can order to get your uh, ne- your catalog so you can start dreaming for next year, your seed catalog, your plant catalog. So I've already signed up to get some, some of those because I figure in the dark days of the winter, it'll be something to yes. look at and to keep me... <laughs> Uh, I guess, excited about, about the next year. Yeah. Well, here's my thing, Karen. I oh, I get certain catalogs, and I'm happy with them. I don't want a whole lot of other ones, simply because think of all that glossy print and all the trees that have to be cut down um, to do that. So I just I just get a few, and and that makes it easier for me to decide what I want. And I've already started a list of things that I want to put in next year, and I, I'm sure I'll revise that several times. So I, I wanted to tell you one thing. I've been reading some of the uh, literature that I've gotten from the University of Minnesota over the years, and one of the things they said when they were writing about and naming their hardy mums, chrysanthemums, is... It is always better to leave them uh, upright. Don't cut them off. They really, even though they're hardy, they do benefit from having all that top growth there. So um, this year I'm, I'm leaving mine up. I, they don't look nice, but I'm leaving them up. And also um, a lot of the uh, things I had in my pollinator garden, mm-hmm. um, I'm leaving those up. And I have had so many birds plucking away at them. Um, Sometimes, you know, we get in the habit of cleaning up, and we—that's not really the right thing because um, the wildlife—they're—they're counting on that for food. So if you didn't get it done because of the early snow, maybe you can just leave those things up, and you'll benefit because you'll see more birds. uh, finding things in there to eat. And, of course, as always, they always need a source of water. This morning we were watching a blue jay out in our bird bath. He was taking a bath and, and just enjoying it so much. So, Do you, you, do you have a heated bird bath? Because I know I used to have a heated one to, for the birds, but then it, it quit working, and so I just don't <laughs> anymore. I, I don't have a, a heated one, but I have a really good cement bird bath and and you can just keep adding water all the time you just bring out the warm water in there and uh, a lot of times just because it we get the sunlight if there is ice in there that melts okay so so you you can keep a pretty steady supply of water out there for the birds and i wanted to say one thing about squirrels (laughs) you know we have this uh, i believe it's a radiant flowering crab in the backyard we've had it for years we just love it this year it had so many fruits on it, and they're just very small, but they just uh, they just covered the yard. And you know the squirrels have been out there eating them? I don't ever remember seeing squirrels just sitting eating those berries or those fruits before. No, usually it's the birds that like them. I'm surprised. Yeah, I am too. 
So maybe it's because I planted fewer tulips and they can't be eating my tulips because <laughs> they aren't there. I don't know. But, oh, my goodness. Yes. Hey, Karen, I did something different this week that I wanted to talk about just a little bit. You know, I have a, a lot of houseplants. I mean a lot of... Yes, you do. Uh-oh. Plants, and they require a lot of looking over. Not, I mean, it's not difficult work or anything like that, but a fork and I went around and I worked up the soil on the top of the plants from this watering in that that sometimes gets kind of crusty in that so maybe if you have time take a fork or um, a um, any kind of a pronged instrument and go through and do that and then the thing that I added was um, I'm using a granular root zone uh, uh, fungi that uh, works on behalf of the plant. It's not a fertilizer. And what it does is it works uh, symbiotically with the plant, uh, helping the roots to take in more nutrients and things. Also, it gives you um, uh, biodiversity at uh, in the soil because so many of the things that we're we're using now because they're so sterile mm -hmm. they are they don't have this beneficial bacteria in them it's 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 taken out so by doing this you get them to to work for you well now so what is it called barb what is the name it's of called granular root zone and the um the two different the big fungi that are in them are the uh uh, Mycor, um, Corosia, I think, or something Mycor like that. Mycor Hazel. Okay. Fungi. It's M Y C O R R H E Z A L. Okay. That's one of the fungi. And the other one is the um, Trichoderma. T R I C H O D E R M A. And they, they work. Um, the roots spread out more. Um, the surface on them is able to. Um, uh, to absorb more nutrients that are in the soil. So it's just a really win-win thing. Well, Barb, you know, I just, this week, in fact, it's funny you mentioned that, I just attended an online course offered by the Master Gardeners about that, talking about how you shouldn't be feeding your plants, you should be feeding your soil, because... Yeah. Without the soil being the proper mixture, roots actually, they say roots aren't actually the thing that take up the nutrients. It's the fungi and those bacteria, yeah. those helpful bacteria that actually make it and turn those nutrients into the, uh, so the plants have the ability to take up what's yeah, needed yeah. in the soil. And so that's the thing I think has really changed over the years. And that's what uh, they talked about in this um, this Master Gardener a, um, informational session that I watch. It's like feed the soil, not the plant, because it's really that, like you said, it's the fungi, it's the bacteria. Without that, it's just like you said, a sterile environment, and it really can't do anything. It'd be us, like us without nutrients, you you don't thrive. Yes, yes, that's so true. And you know, the, the way I got onto this was you know, my son lives in Alaska, and he has to build all the soil that he grows things in, and he grows uh, in raised beds and in pots because they have that permafrost. And you really, people who haven't been there, haven't seen this, can't imagine. It's like hitting cement when you try to dig in that. You just can't. And so he's constantly building soil for these, 
And um, he also uses, like, wood chips and things like that, anything, all the scraps. He, he collects from everybody that's got things that, that he can put into his compost piles. And he told me, he said, you know, Mom, you really have to start uh, getting more of this, this uh, biodiversity in your soil with mm-hmm. these different types of fungi this, and, and this bacterial. This is what your roots of your plants need. And so he sent it to me, and, uh, you know, leave it to your kids. Isn't that wonderful when they start leading you around and telling you, improving on your knowledge like that? And so uh, I'm very pleased with it. And um, so, you know, it's, it's a good thing to know. Well, you mentioned I was, I didn't realize in, in Alaska, too, with your son, and he's got basically the only way he can grow things is to have greenhouses, and they're not on the ground. Uh, right. You said they're all up off the ground because yeah. of the permafrost. It's something I never thought of, and how that's basically, they've been doing raised bed gardening forever, and, of course, here it's it's kind of a thing that it's like we think, well, this is a great deal, and it's been going on for a long time. Yes, and, you know, kelp. We buy, if we buy kelp, like kelp meal, it's very expensive. There they can go to the, the ocean and they can harvest kelp. I mean, it's just, it's, it's one of the backbones of, of, that you can use along with, with other things. So uh, uh, it, you, different, different areas, you learn different things, don't you? Well, and you know, the other thing, you go, you go to Georgia because your daughter's in Georgia. You help her garden there. One of the things they have that we don't have here is pine needles for mulch. And so I've looked to buy pine needles for mulch, and it's so expensive that it costs more to have it shipped in if you don't have an, an easy access than it does for the product itself. And down there, it, it's it's like, you know, air. It's it's everywhere, yet yeah. it's such a great, uh, uh, it's such a great mulch for things in and there's those uh especially the white pine needles and i've actually when they had the compost days i actually went up to the compost pile and people would dump their loads of pine needles and i i actually instead of dumping things i would be putting them in bags and taking them back because i don't have access to a bunch of pine trees and things but that's one thing that i've done this year instead of just wood chips i've gone with the pine needles it's a myth that they add acidity to the oil you say well pine needles are acidic it you know, it's so nominal that it doesn't make any... They've sure. shown under trees that have been pines for years and years, and it's really not that much different. It's But it's a great natural mulch. It's free, and it's good for the environment. It breaks down and makes hummus. So that's one thing I've been doing that's different than having all those wood chips, which a lot of times they end up blowing away or, or the water takes them away, that sort of thing. So if you know of any good uh, pine tree places I could go, Barb, let me know. Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, I don't happen to, but you know, it's so interesting in, in Georgia, there will be uh, people that will come around and they'll have a pickup and and they will offer to uh, mulch around all your beds and put down these. And this is, they, they, they're just harvesting. There's a, a machine that you just run in your forest along the ground and it just kind of, oh. just brings them right up. I mean, that's a regular business for some people, and that, that makes it extremely uh, easy. But if you don't have someone that comes around and sells them to you, if you go to um, one of my favorite places to go to is the Ace Hardware Store because it's one of those old-fashioned stores that has seeds in bulk, mm-hmm. and they also they roast nuts, peanuts, and uh, pecans and things like that. And you can buy it. You can buy um, the uh, the needles, the pine 
needles in bales. It's there, bales. Yeah, but see, we and I've seen them here, but they're a ridiculously expensive because yeah. of the shipping part. Yeah, yeah, and so there it, it isn't. It's very, very inexpensive, and it doesn't mat. That, uh, that's um, all good reasons to use that, but I wanted to talk just a little bit about uh, Thanksgiving dinner. Okay, what's going on, Barb? <laughs> One of the things that uh, uh, I've been reading a lot about potatoes because I love potatoes, and um, and I don't know if if this is this uh, this is true of everybody, but it said if you're going to be making mashed potatoes for Thanksgiving Day, uh, use one of the uh, golden tomato uh, potatoes like Yukon Gold. As a matter of fact, Yukon Gold is one of the most popular ones for mashed potatoes. So it it's better than like a russet. Uh, a russet is the like the big white potato that we bake, and that's the best potato for baking is is the russet one. But they're not as good for mashed potatoes because the um, the Yukon Golds are more mealy and more flavorful. There's much more flavor. They're to kind them. of buttery, actually. Y- yeah, yeah, they are. They are, and I just I just like the rich rich. The, the way they look in, in the bowl once you serve them, they look so great. And you have this plop of butter running down the sides. Oh, my goodness, that's so nice. And another thing, uh, uh, the fresh cranberries come in from Wisconsin now. They're in the stores, and, you know, they are very, very reasonable. When you consider the, the uh, amount of work, they're grown, and then they, they flood the beds, and then they have to go in, and they have to cut them off and then they they circle them up and harvest them and vacuum them up and it's it's a lot of work but we are fortunate to have cheap food we are very very fortunate and uh, that is the cranberry is really a healthy thing whether you're just drinking the juice or eating the berry and one of the ways if you don't like to heat something like that with all that vitamin C you can take your cranberries, wash them well, and then um, you can put them into your blender and chop them up and take those cranberries and then take a couple of apples and take out the cores um, and then chop them up and put them in with that, with your uh, cranberries. Add sugar to your taste, and you've got a really nice, fresh relish. And that's a great thing when you're having turkey and you're having gravy and things, to have something that kind of cleanses your palate a little bit. Now, you mentioned mixing them with apples. Usually what we do is we would grind them in our old meat grinder, the, the frozen cranberries, and then we would grind an orange or something and mix that together. I think there was a little sugar added to that, so it was an mm-hmm. orange cranberry relish. So, But you mentioned apples. I don't. I guess I've never had it that way. Yeah, well, you know, there's um, with the orange, there's even more acid, and you've got so much acid anyway. Okay. So if you use apple, it's just it's just a little, you know, a little less acid. It just oh. kind of blends it together. But you know, try different things. And hey, here's something that since we've been going to Georgia, we've been adding fresh pecans. Oh my goodness, just chop up some pecans and put in there. Just absolutely delicious. Really, really good stuff there. Now, you sometimes have grown sweet potatoes. Is that going to be on the, the the dinner for Thanksgiving? Yes, but you know what? I bought them. <laughs> okay. I, I absolutely didn't have a spot in the garden where they could grow. <laughs> because, you know, I had those 200 onions. 
<laughs> which is ridiculous to have so many onion yes. plants but uh, for the kids. But I didn't have a spot, and um, I, I really found some nice, really, really nice uh, sweet potatoes in the store. And so um, here again, um, I peel them and then put them in a covered uh, casserole dish and bake them, add a little brown, brown sugar and a little butter, and then mash them up. And I, oh, I love sweet potatoes. Oh, my goodness. And that is something that they grow really well in Georgia. They, they like that light, that, that soil that they have there. There's clay and I don't know what all, but it, it, they do grow well. Well, you know, because you tried the, the sweet potatoes, I've actually tried them one year. And, you know, with, with the amount of work and space they take, it wasn't worth the effort for me. It's just as cheap or easier just to buy them from the store. So mm-hmm. I, I, that was one I tried and glad I did it, but I probably won't do that again. You know, if I had a lot of land, I would do that. Right. But um, as, you know, um, and uh, I eat fewer sweet potatoes than some other things. You know, you kind of have to say, you know, how much of this do we really need? What do you you use? See, I've done it in the past just to grow it for the growing sake because I love to grow, but then it's like, well, it just goes to waste if you don't use it. That is so true. Yes, you're absolutely right about that. So, hey, you know, um, did you happen to read the story about uh, Janet Miller who visited all the state parks during the coronavirus? Uh, I did not. No. no. Well, it's just a great story. I know Janet, and <clears throat> and uh, what she decided to do in March when the governor said to stay home, she decided to do these day trips and take in all of the state parks in Minnesota. And someday she could take in as many as four parks. She did have to, when she went north, she did have to stay overnight. But she went by herself, and she visited every single state park in Minnesota. She's also visited all seven continents, and she's visited all 50 states in the United States. She, she loves to travel, and she tells her story in there about traveling with her parents, going out to see her sister in California with her parents, and, and, and her parents love to go to parks, too. And, you know, we love to go to parks, too, and we love to go to um, not necessarily state parks, but the city parks, county parks, they're, they're all absolutely great. And whenever I'm at a park like that, I think this is why we pay taxes, so we have this public land so we can wander around and enjoy nature and 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 just get away from it all and so if you have a chance you know if you um this weekend get out and go to our parks Minneopa is just wonderful and and you know they have those babies last spring those buffalo that were born and and go out and see them it's it's just a wonderful thing and by the way those buffalo they are really, uh, you might think that they just have the, they're just just there to, to look at, but they're taking down all those noxious weeds, and they are also eating things and spreading good seeds around, too. So that area that was all buckthorn and uh, thistle and rock, well, still, still be rock, but... <laughs> it, it, it will improve. It will improve. It'll begin looking like a prairie again. Well, yeah, it it allows those those plants, the native plants, with those deep deep roots, and they're able to help the soil. So it, the soil isn't all compacted, which is what happens when you clear the land for 
other uses. And so that's why it's so important in some cases to bring back the prairie. And that's why it's so important to plant those natives in your yard. That's another thing as I look through the catalogs, I'm looking now for, for natives. And there are specific companies that only sell native plants and you can request their catalogs or look online. They have them online as well that are native for your area. So make sure that's really important because what's native here might be invasive in another part of the country because of the, the climate and their ability to grow. So that is one thing they say when you buy natives, for example, buy it somewhere within your growing area so you know that it's appropriate for your uh, planting site and so it's not invasive. And you know, that's one of the reasons why we love to go to the farmer's market because people are growing things locally. If you buy plants from them, they've been raised locally, um, you have you really have success with them. And the same way with uh, with the fruits and the vegetables and things, uh, it just seems like if it comes from their garden to the farmer's market and then to your table, it is so much fresher. So uh, I love farmer's markets. I think they're just, they're so great uh, to learn about new ideas and new plants and um, that are growing well and successful in our area. So uh, it's an education, you know, take your kids and, uh, of course, you know, next year things will be better. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> we can only hope, Barb. Yeah. Uh, and for Thanksgiving, we, we really want to encourage people to, you know, try some new things, but stay within your family bubble. I mean, that's so important. I know even now they're saying don't travel. And we don't, people don't like to be told what to do. I get that. But the thing is, I don't, I want to see, well, I don't, my, my parents are all dead anyway, but you know, you might want to see grandma next year for Christmas or, you know, that that's so important. Sure. And I know you're an older person as well. And so yeah. I have a feeling you're going to be hunkering down as well. Yeah. And you know what? I bought a whole bunch of Thanksgiving cards to send out. Oh, that's a earlier. great idea. I sent them. And then I decided, um, I have time. I'm going to go back and get some more. <laughs> and as a result, <clears throat> um, we had to go to the post office to get stamps. Long line there, and people carrying in boxes. Um, if you're going to be mailing anything, I think you better do it yes, early. You really because um, families are separated. They are shipping things. Um, you don't want to have to start, stand forever in a line with holding on to a box. I was looking at one lady, and I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, how heavy is that box anyway? <laughs> but, you but, know, it's it's safer than you spend a little money. It's safer than, uh, you know, yep. going there. I was at the post office the other day and bought some stamps. And let me tell you, the new there's new uh, Minnesota, or I don't know if they're Minnesota, they're scenic, but they've got barns and owls and rabbits and things. So if you want to mail, mail cards, Beautiful new choices out there, just FYI. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I think this is a time when we have to think about things differently. You can't rely on what you did last year. So if you waited till a week before Christmas and sent out your cards, they're probably not going to get there. Just go ahead and get them bought and send them out. But I love your idea of sending Thanksgiving cards if you can't be there. That's just a wonder. And write a note. When's the last time? I mean, a lot of people haven't even received any written mail in a long time besides email, et cetera. And it's just a, a cool thing to see something in your mailbox. You know what? <clears throat> I am sending a, I bought a special card. I'm sending it to the clinic where David goes and where I go to and where he's been recently. And just thanking everyone for working and, um, and I hope they all have a safe um, Thanksgiving with their families because the, we have so many unsung heroes that they do so much for us and we take them for granted. 
Absolutely. So, well, we have a lot to be grateful for. You know, things maybe not like we, we were used to, but we still count, count your blessings is what I say, Barb. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Karen. And uh, we want to say thank you to our listeners, too. We enjoy hearing from them. We hope that they are going to have a nice, safe, and happy Thanksgiving. And uh, just just take time to, to think about all that you have. I mean, I keep thinking about how inexpensive it is. I, I've traveled several parts of the, the world, and food is cheap here. It is. And it's good. It's, oh, my goodness. And protein. I know you're a vegetarian, but <laughs> when it comes to meats and things like that, that's they're so reasonable. The same way with, I mean, poultry, eggs. Um, dairy. It just it's just amazing how reasonable they are in price. Well, Barb, thank you so much. We are out of time, but I wish you a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. Oh, you too, Karen. Thanks. You take care. Yep, yep. Bye-bye, Barb. Bye-bye. All right, our good friend Barb Lampson, it is two minutes past 10, and you are listening to a Minnesota Morning on the Maverick at KMSU Radio 89.7 FM in Mankato and KMSK 91.3 FM in Austin, online at KMSU.org. Broadcasting from the campus of Minnesota State University, Mankato, big ideas and real world thinking. It is 40 degrees here on the campus at Minnesota State University, just a little warmer for the high of 43 today and mostly sunny skies. Well, another record-breaking day for the COVID-19 in Minnesota as health officials report 72 fatalities linked to the virus. The deaths include three Brown County residents and one from Martin County. 51 of those deaths occurred in long-term care facilities. The statewide death toll is now at 3,082. Deaths among cases that resided in long-term care or assisted living facilities are 2,117. The Minnesota Department of Health reports 7,000